Hey, thanks for tuning into the Beer and Mighty Things podcast, your place for education and happenings in the craft food and beverage industry. I'm your host, Kyle Reiner. Here, I interview folks around the world who are doing mighty things in these industries. My goal is to entertain, educate, and inspire. If I'm doing those things, give us a five-star rating and a little follow over there on Apple Podcasts. Leave a comment if you can. It goes a long way in helping others find the show. And, you know, hey, we appreciate it. This podcast is sponsored by craftbrewinginsurance.com, craftdistillinginsurance.com, and insuringwine.online. And with that, let's get into it. Hi, this is Jessica Dar, Executive Director of PA Eats, and you're listening to the Beer Mighty Things Podcast. Welcome into the Beer Mighty Things podcast. It's what you listen to while you brew. It's what's in your ears as you drink beers. Uh, I have a new friend I just met at the uh, Brewers of uh, Brewers of Pennsylvania Symposium out of State College, and uh, you know I attended her little presentation, and I thought it was fitting and simple, and I loved your energy, and your smile was awesome. So uh, we are bringing in Ann Gannon of the Largo Group, and welcome in. Thank you so much for having me. This will be great. I look forward to it. You're very welcome. Yeah. So I guess what I will say is when I was like, she's awesome is because what one of the guys was coming into this, to the presentation and we look at each other, we're like, all right, we need a beer, you know? And he's like, yeah, all right, we'll go get one. And Ann goes, I'll take one. And I was like, hell yeah. You can't have a yes. presentation without a beer. Made it much better. Yes. Yeah. It's just, isn't that cool? It's like, my wife would be like, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to the brewery. Some, you know, we're going to a, a work conference. She's like, you're taking a trucker hat and jeans. You know, I'm like, uh-huh. And then, you know, so we get to sit there during a presentation and have a beer. It's like, this is awesome, right? It could be worse. Yes. Could be much worse. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So tell me, um, what's well, first, I did a little bit of research about you, you know, spying on you a little bit, but, um, <laughs> you know, you had gone down to, uh, I think Florida Atlantic university and, uh, tell me about your, your golf career. Yeah, so I grew up playing uh, golf competitively all through high school. I actually went to Rutgers University for two years okay. and then uh, transferred back to FAU. Just it was really hard having a winter and my family had lived in Florida. So the idea of really trying to pursue golf uh, was really my goal for the last two years of college. And, um, you know, traveled all over the country, definitely on a dime. My parents didn't have a lot of money, yeah. like working in restaurants whenever it was off season, working in clubs, like whatever I could to just save up money and then get in my car and, and go play. And then my senior year, I actually had a really good year, um, had an awesome coach, ended up being ranked 11th in the country and decided to turn pro to see where that went and played professionally for a year. Although what I quickly realized is I'm very risk averse. So the idea of playing for money was just like, I couldn't mm. <laughs> mentally, cause it's so hard to like, you know, you need to do well cause you need to make a check and then you're making this putt and you're thinking about the fact that like, <laughs> wow, like I worked a long time to get here and this costs a lot of money and oh, it was a lot. So after a year it was like, I just don't think mentally this is something that I'll ever enjoy. Right. Um, and the idea of, you know, just having a career and then being able to play golf on the side just seemed like a good option. So I went back for my master's in accounting because my undergrad had actually been in economics and there's okay. no jobs for economists. So I had a friend who had been one of my professors who's like, well, try accounting. It's really similar. And so I did, and I really liked accounting and then, um, started off in the 
big, uh, a big firm in Boston. My husband had gotten transferred up there. So I got a job in Boston as my first accounting job. And it, the biggest thing I realized is that I, my background was so different from typical accountants, right? Like I really hadn't thought about what it meant to be an accountant or what that looked like. And I really hadn't come from this corporate world. I'd come from more of the entrepreneurial world and restaurant world and hospitality world. And so this whole idea of like, you know, you're looking at these pieces of paper that are tax returns for people, but they're really just churning through them, right? Like how many returns can you get out today? But you're not really talking to the people behind it. And it really just was like, this can't be all there is, right? Like some people love that. But to me, it was like, I want to like talk to these people and get to know them and and see how can we make it better. (laughs) And so um, after, you know, three or four years, I just ended up trying on my own. And so I went out on my own and, you know, really just tried to see, is there a better way that accounting can work for small business owners where you're involved throughout the year and giving them guidance. And that way, by the time you get to a tax return, it's not this stressful thing where you're calling them and saying they owe money and they're mad at you. And you're like, it's not my fault, <laughs> you know? Right. So, but it is, um, but it is kind of, cause I did your return, but please don't yell at me. So, you know, that was really the whole oh. idea of the Largo group. That's awesome. What does Largo mean? So it really is methodical, but it was also a play on being from Florida because okay. Largo is a like Florida Largo. term a lot. Right. But, uh, but it really means methodical. So I was trying to find a way to say like a methodical approach. Okay. And that's what we do try, you know, from an insurance perspective is, you know, an ongoing monitoring throughout the year so that, you know, we don't have these large audits, right? So we don't have these large things that kind of slip through the slip through the cracks. So I appreciate that. Um, Yeah. I also think kind of like, well, first of all, did anybody tell you that like, hey, your accounting season is so hectic that you'll probably never golf again? Did anybody <laughs> tell you that? Yes. Although I would say living in the Northeast, at least April is when the weather gets better. Whereas I feel terrible for the Florida accountants because the weather gets worse after April and they miss like the best weather of the year. So at least here it's like, all right, it's April. Now it's getting nicer. I'll have the summer. So it's it's not terrible. Awesome. Uh in golf, we want to have the lowest score, right? We want to reduce our strokes. And I think with, you know, your help as an accountant, right, you want to reduce taxable income and, and, and any uh, gaps or mistakes. So they're kind of similar, right? Oh, definitely. And I feel like the, I feel like the whole pandemic has really made me like dwell on like things you learn from other areas. And I feel like um, for some reason during the pandemic, it just reminded me so much of like golf where you're just beaten down so much in the game of golf to the point you're like I'm a horrible person but then you have to find a way to like get past that and move on and I felt like that emotions of like how just draining it can feel but you have to find a way through it was really similar to like what we were all going through during the pandemic so I'm sure even you like just being you know, involved with restaurants, it was like, we're all feeling this horrible thing, but we have to find a way to get up tomorrow and go forward and think clearly. And so, yeah, I feel like now there are, I've found more similarities to golf than I ever realized. On the podcast, we talk a lot about just, you know, mental health or discipline and focus. Like it's, you know, when, you know, shit's hitting the fan with the pandemic, it's like, all right, we can't have people here, you know, but you got to shift that mindset. Like we can't do this. We can't do this. Like to how can we do this? What, what, what options do we have? Cause you can easily close your mind, close that box and go down a bad tunnel. Right. So, you know, just getting out of your own head and same with golf. It's like, I can't get off the tee box. I can't do this. It's like, no, you can, you know, walk through your steps. Like let's take a deep breath. How do we do this? Right. There, there's gotta be a way. 
and shit, and you're going to have another X amount of strokes for the rest of the day. So, um, but yeah, focus, discipline. I golf is, I think like 13 holes would be perfect. You know, <laughs> I start to lose focus. I feel like 14, 15, 16, and then like 17 and 18, you're like, shit, I wish I could play another 18, you know? Yes. And that's exactly. okay. It's a very humbling totally sport. Was. Oh, completely. Very humbling. Yeah. And yeah. yes. And today <laughs> is a beautiful day. You're in Pennsylvania, right? Yes. Yeah. Today it's like I scheduled, I've been, I scheduled a full day of meetings. I'm like, I should have looked at the weather. I know. It's and, so nice uh, out. It's beautiful. So. Yeah. Cool. Well, how did you get into the beer world? Yeah. So I um, first started getting into hospitality just again, because of my background, I felt like I knew it. And I also feel like accountants are always afraid of restaurants or hospitality because mm. there's, it's so messy and mm. it really is. Um, but I felt like, well, it's not really something that you should be scared of. Like it's really something to learn more about. So, you know, started going See, to that's the, food the mindset. Shows, How do we right? get in there? The right? golfer. Because yeah. you've been beaten down your whole yeah. life. You have to pick yourself <laughs> up. But, uh, but no, you know, I think it, it is as you learn more about it, you're like, well, there's also such a need in restaurants and hospitality because it's so hard. Um, and then, you know, just started getting involved with restaurants first, but then some that had breweries and you mm-hmm. quickly realize like there's so much to know on the beer side that I feel like people don't realize. And really there is this expectation or this assumption that your account at the end of the year, well, they're just going to know. And I feel like, especially in beer, because you're producing your own product, they have no idea. And sometimes like the cost of your beer is just like lost in translation. And especially when you're buying product at different times and eight months of grain in one delivery. And, you know, there's just a lot that I don't think accountants at the end of the year could really figure out. So, you know, really started to dig in on, well, how do we work on the transfer? If you have a production and then you move it to your restaurant, like what does that look like? Mm-hmm. You know, what is the cost of ha- of making your own beer? Is it more than if you bought it somewhere else less? Like all of those things, I think as a business owner are so important to know. And it's not just geeking out, although it is kind of fun to figure it out, but as an owner, like you need to know, does the brewery an X win or is it actually like an X loss, but it's for the benefit of getting people in the door, right? right? And either are okay, but I feel like we have to look at the brewery and really dig in to know those numbers. Awesome. Yeah. You just mentioned, you know, we're talking, we'll get into cash flow and things like that, but it's like, there's no cans. So we got to buy them all now. Right. And that's going to jack right. up your cash flow. It's going to jack up your projections. Um, now I just talked to, you know, a bunch of distilleries, like we don't have any bottles. Uh, we had to change yeah. a bottle um, or we're so off brand because we're just using what we can. It's like, that shortage is real. Um, so, and then again, if you, if you do have ability to buy some, you know, raw materials or whatever, like you're going to buy as much as you can. And then that's going to screw up your cash flow. You know, maybe you can't make payroll. Right. So we'll talk about that. Um, you have created, I guess you've written a book. Is that right? All right. Yes. So this book is called never again. It is the four pillars. And, and tell me, you know, what does never again mean? Well, I mean, I feel like the first thing for anyone who, you know, was in the hospitality in 2020 is really finding your own never again. Like, what is the one lesson that you learned going through it? Because I think we all had different lessons that, you know, could have done differently going in or could have been better prepared. But I think that's a really important starting point for business owners. And not from the standpoint of like beating yourself up because it was such a crazy situation where 2019 was so good that a lot of people had, you know, taken their foot off the gas or just had kind of assumed it would chug along forever. And so 
when 2020 hit and all of a sudden you go to zero, it's like, wow, I have no idea where I am. And I think um, for us, it was crazy because we do weekly calls with our clients. So, you know, your normal weekly calls, you're talking to them. Like I had some people who had just opened, like just cashed their first paycheck to themselves, Mm -hmm. like such a high to like nothing, you know? And so kind of assessing that I think is really important because this is a really good opportunity to build your business differently, to not just come back to 19, but take those lessons. So the never again is really different for everyone. But whether it's cash flow, like I will never again run a $10,000 buffer. You said if I have a $30,000 payroll, like, no, I have to keep 50,000 at all times. So I know yeah. in my head I can make it through another payroll. I have some people who say never again, will I do terms, right? Like I'm not going to go back to 30 days because when the pandemic hit, I had a full 30 days of bills that had to get paid that yeah. I didn't have any cash coming in. Yeah. So I feel like really digging into like those lessons can help us set up and not forget what we all went through last year. Yeah. I think, you know, again, coming back to mindset, right? Any challenge, you know, you could think of it as detrimental or you could think of it as an opportunity to, you know, figure things out, do them a little differently. Um, you know, I, I know that a number of you know, a number of breweries had, you know, they shed a lot of their employees, you know, unfortunately, but then they were able to keep their sales up and run leaner, right? Therefore, increasing margins, things like that. So again, you know, that is, it's an opportunity if we look at it that way, or it can be, you know, you can go curl in a ball and that's not going to help anybody. <laughs> no. So never again, you have a toolkit, a weekly trend analysis, financial forecast, 12 month budget, weekly accountability scorecard, which looks like a golf scorecard and a plan for cash flow moving forward. So you want to dig into some of this stuff here? Yeah. So the idea again, is that, um, you know, that really business owners have to pay attention weekly, right? Because I think across the board, everyone I've talked to all our clients, it was just, we you know, you only looked once a month, you kind of just get, you know, took a glancing mm-hmm. look at your cash flow, but they didn't really understand it. So I think especially now, because a lot of our clients tell us this year is actually harder than last year because of all the price changes and supply yeah. issues, yeah, raw material and costs, labor issues mm-hmm. that there's just everything getting thrown at you this year and you don't really have this, you know, PPP money or anything else yeah. to, to help. So I feel like because of that, if you're at least build yourself, you know, the same checklist that you would a manager or, you know, even someone on the line that you can really start to develop good habits. And so you are inherently, you know, better prepared. So the toolkit really is about building the tools that make you a better owner and the things that you have to know every week. So, you know, your business is in good hands. But, Anne, I'm so busy. I don't have time to set aside to review this stuff. I know, but that's the other idea. Cause I feel like in accounting, we go to overwhelm in like two seconds, right? It's like, <laughs> oh, I'm going to sit down and I logged into QuickBooks and it asked me for a code and now I don't know the code. And so I can't, I can't it's done. I just can't. And right? your phone like, rings and someone hey. runs in. And... Like I can't, but that the idea is this doesn't have to be perfect. Cause okay. especially the people I think on like the brewer side are very technical. I find in the restaurant side, your chefs, it's like, if it's not perfect, I can't look at it. And the goal of this is to be in real time, which inherently means it's going to be incomplete, right? Like it's not going to be the final yeah. product, but we still have to know enough, like you said, to make good decisions. Yeah. And I think that's the first mindset shift is like it, my cost of goods for last week might not be everything, but at least let's try and get a number or yeah. my 
cash flow for last week. Let's try and get a number so we can make better decisions. Yeah. And I think this is what really drew me to your presentation was, you know, Hey guys, you're always going to have these moving parts. Um, nothing's ever perfect. You know, there's no perfect time to have a child, right? You just, you go with it, right? You roll with it. There's no real manual. So, you know, coming back to this, you know, being that, you know, a lot of these, you know, this is their business, right? This is their baby. So, you know, there's no perfect time. And I guess what, where do we start? Like, how do we, you know, in, in one of your slides, I think was, uh, you know, assessing where we are today. Like what, what is operating cash flow? Like what, where do we start? Well, I definitely think, you know, in this time, right. If we haven't really thought about it and we've sort of just, and, and understandably so again, not judging yourself, because if you've been working your business in the last 18 months, you're not alone. And that was a really good decision, right? But if we haven't taken the time to assess, the first part is really being honest with how our business performed over the last 18 months. Because if you were to take your cash flow today of, you know, say it's $100,000, $50,000, and you were to subtract out one PPP, two PPP, some employee retention credits, some RRF funds, you know, what is that number? Because chances are that number's red, right? If we're honest. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. But then if it's red now, is it red because of 2020? And we've been like break even since then, or is it still bleeding a slow death? And that's what we need to know because mm-hmm. a lot of times all of the things that have been thrown at you this year with supply chain and with labor have really messed up your margins. And we have to find those margins again weekly in order to be, you know, sustainable and successful going into next year. What are some questions that these folks can kind of ask themselves? I guess you essentially they have to kind of put this on paper and say, you know, look at it and the numbers don't lie. Right. So, you know, where, where's our, our shortfall, like where, where's the stuff coming from? And and well, that's where, yeah. I mean, that's where I would start with this week, right? Don't, don't spend, three weeks digging out last year. (laughs) It's just not worth it. But this week, like what's the revenue coming in? What are the cost of goods? And again, on brewery, it's so hard because I talked to one guy the other day and he was ordering like eight months of green, right? So that's obviously going to skew his cost of goods when the green comes in. And the fact that we don't have green right now in our cost of goods is a problem. So as much as we can getting that number and then labor, like what's the real labor cost right now on a weekly basis? Because I'm sure it's a lot higher than it was in 2019. You mentioned it before too. Um, A lot of folks, I've seen some folks included and some not, but when you think about the real cost of your beer, they don't include the labor in that calculation and time, right? Because that actually does factor in. Um, so that's something that I think, you know, I don't know if you have a tip on how to start to think about that, but it's not just the cost of raw materials. It's time, which we never get back. And it's, you know, the cost for that person to do that work, right? You got to factor that stuff in. Well, definitely. And that's where I think on the brewery side, it's so, it's, you really have to look at it as its own separate business, right? So if you have like a brew pub and you have the restaurant side, but then you also have the beer side, mm-hmm. you know, what is the cost of that brewery? Like maybe it actually loses 5,000 a month, 10,000 a month, and that's okay. But are we covering that cost on the restaurant side? Or I think one lesson a lot of brewers learned in the pandemic is finding revenue at other sources, right? Are there outside 
you know, places I could sell my beer? Should I be promoting my like retail beer? So when everyone leaves, they have to go like all of that. Will that help offset? Because I think the hard part of the brewery is your brewers are fixed costs, right? Cause yep. you have yep. to pay most of them salary or high hourly. Yep. And it is what it is, regardless of how much they produce. So to really kind of dig in. And again, I don't think going backwards is the answer. I think it's this week, like this week, how much did the brewery cost you versus the restaurant? Because a lot of times we throw the brewers in and then we yell because our payroll's too high. Mm. But, right? but the brewers are their own little entity, right? Yeah. And they have to pay for themselves yeah. for this thing to be successful. So we have to be aware of the cost of the brewers, as well as this raw material stuff, in addition to whatever's going on on the pub side. Okay. Yeah. And ultimately, what, what I'm thinking of when you're saying, like, we need to focus on this week, right, instead of this long trajectory, uh, I thinking back to the quote, um, you've probably heard it, but how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, <laughs> one yes. week at a time. Otherwise, like just, just any, you know, goal, right? It's this big audacious goal. Well, how do we become a pro golfer? Well, day by day, right? Hour by hour on the chipping range. Like there's, there's, we have to break it down. Otherwise it's overwhelming and we do nothing. Yes. Yes. And I think that's the other hard part about brewers is you have this incredibly hard math equation. So I think so many times brewers think it's them like, well, I just don't get it. And it's really this is your you are creating something that is unique. Right. It is a unique beast. Even if you took 100 brew pubs or 100 breweries in the same room, they are all doing it differently. Like some are distributing, yeah. some are selling locally, yeah. but wholesale, some are just selling retail, some have a tap room. Like it is all, some have weddings, like it is all different. Yeah. So I was talking to one guy the other day and he put it in a really good perspective. He's like, I know I'm different. And I'm like, that's a, I've, you rarely hear that, right? So the many times I feel like, it. <laughs> right? but at least like, cause so many times you're trying to get in this box of like what, you know, some benchmark that you're never going to hit because of course you're different. You have this vision and only, you know, what this vision is and that's okay, but we still got to make the numbers work. So the vision can, can go. Okay. And I know we're talking about breaking things into, you know, a weekly period, um, but what about you know trying to figure out your why? I think you mentioned something about having to look at maybe the last 15 months of a cash balance to kind of see where we're at, where we're going. Tell me about that. Yeah, because so much changed in your cash flow in the last 15 to 18 months. I mean, I okay. think really um, the other thing to look at there, because a lot of times what people did with the PPP, especially the second PPP, is knowing you had this cash coming in, you know, did you buy things or did you pay down debt? Because again, don't be hard on yourself if you don't have the two PPPs sitting in the bank, but it's also kind of being aware of what decisions you made, right? Did you pay your management team and keep them around or your brewers around, or, you know, maybe paid down some debt or the capital expenditures. And the reason that's important is just to know, eventually you're going to want to know where that cash went and we're going to forget. So kind of keeping a log or writing mm -hmm. it down somewhere is a really good first step to say, okay, but this is where I am today. If I have that 50,000, then, you know, I don't want it going down beyond here. Like I'm completely good with what I did with it. Those were great decisions and pat yourself on the back. Cause as entrepreneurs, we, we never do, yeah. but you know, now I really want the 50,000 to, to grow and to, to build from here. Yeah. And the other thing too, uh, we brought up during that symposium and you work in multiple States. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So, you know, 
every state's different, but right now what I've been calling my clients on, it's like, it's not even insurance based, but Hey, are you taking advantage of the Pennsylvania malt beverage tax credit? Right? Like what did you buy this year? Right. There are some expenditures that we can use and apply. We have to do it by April of 2022, but you potentially can get some money back. And I think it might be capped at like 200 grand per brewery or whatever. There's a $5 million fund out there, but like, is anybody telling you about this? And that's where I try to bring value as a, you know, yeah, I'm the insurance guy, but if no one's talking to you about this, you're not going to know about it. And if I know about it and I don't tell you about it, well, I'm just an idiot. I'm a jerk. <laughs> like, let me share it with you. Right. And that's right. part of why the podcast exists. Right. This is to share information for free that, you know, you may be missing out on. And, you know, maybe, you know, if you don't know, you don't know. Yes. No, and I feel like there's a lot of that now. I mean, I think other things to think about are the employee retention tax credit. You know, there are people out there who don't realize ERC, you know, that you can go back and claim that for 2020 and 2021, um, depending on where you are. So that's definitely something to look into. Even if you took a PPP loan, right? Yes. So a lot of folks think that, hey, if I did one, I can't get the other. It's like, no. And, and like, no matter what, even if like you're applying for college, like there's always some grants out there. There's some scholarships that aren't being taken advantage of. Like you don't know if you don't ask. Well, exactly. And I think as, and especially with this one, people also think it's just off your payroll tax, but it's actually, you get a check in the mail. So it's worth looking into if you haven't. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you. I mean, there's empowerment zones. I mean, I think of anything, the last 18 months taught restaurant owners to do some research on <laughs> government programs. Yeah. Because I've gotten some crazy questions like, hey, I found this one. And I'm like, all right, we'll look into it. But yeah, yeah. You, just, you just don't know what you don't know. Yes. Right. So we just talked about kind of taking bites of that elephant, looking backward a little bit, trying to assess what's going on. Um, and then let's talk about, you know, kind of now projecting into the future, right? Going along step two of the, the toolkit, you know, let's talk forecast. Let's plan for cash flow. Let's, so, so where do we go next? How do we forecast? Well, like you said, I think it's important to look at like your vision and, and where you're going. Um, you know, the next step that we try to do with our clients is really getting them to look beyond the next six months, right? Because anyone out there knows the next six months supply chain is going to still be around. It's probably not going to be that much fun, but that's okay if we know, you know, where we're going beyond that. So what is your three-year plan? What is your five-year plan? And that may seem, I think, hard, especially for owners who are kind of still in the thick of it. It's like, I don't have time to, to think about that right now, but that's the starting point to building a budget and a forecast and, and, targets for cash flow. Cause if your plan is growth, then we're going to need a lot of money in the bank, right? You're going to have to pay for this. But if you're kind of at the end and you're like, all right, I'm just going to kind of ride this out for the next three years, that's a different mindset for how much cash you need and how much money you're going to pay managers and all of those other decisions. So I think as hard, as much as it's hard to even just taking that minute to just look and see where do you see yourself in five years? Yeah. And that's a good place to start. Yeah, I even think so when you're mentioning that I'm thinking of trends, right? It's like what it, and it could be trends of beer coming down or trends of people going where depending on the season or trends in the negative way of like what's running out? What do I need? Um what might I need then? Um and again, I guess talking to other brewers and it's a good industry, right? People want to help each other. So, you know, what are you seeing? What do you think? Um you know, how are you planning? How aren't you planning? So yeah, I think trends are something that, you know, we're looking at, you know, again, it could be two years down the road, you know, what's going on in Europe, 
right? Cause we tend to do like they're ready to drink cocktails have been huge over there for a long time. And now we're just starting to be like, Oh, Hey, ready to drink cocktails are cool. And now everyone, you know, same with the seltzer craze. It's like now everyone's doing it, but then like, are we too late? You know, what's next beyond that? So can you think two, three steps ahead, you know, and that's fun over a beer, like get a whiteboard and just <laughs> draw on it and, you know, use your imagination, right? Yes. As, as when we're kids, it's like, Hey, go use your imagination, play with your imaginary friend. And now as you get older, like we forget to play, right? I know it's so true. And you're right. Like what are the new things that are going to come down? You know, what are the things you want to explore? Like, even if it's your existing beer, is it a tap room? Is it, you know, events? Like I feel like weddings kind of have become like in all different areas, like, you know, not just the traditional, it's like, maybe you can host weddings and have large events or, or start a distillery if you don't have one. Cause that's great margins. Right. (laughs) You know, right. It's great margins, but it's also different. Right. So it's like, I always think of that as like, I drink beer, right? So I drink beer. I'm going to go get more beer, right? I can drink beer rather quickly. When I get a bottle of vodka or whiskey, like you, you buy it, it has a great margin, but you're not buying it as often. So, you know, but there's trends. I'm sure there's data on that and all that. That's not my job, but you know, that's how I think. I'm like, I don't buy that nearly as much as I go and buy beer. But and those are complementary yeah. products too, right? You know, yeah. So. Well, and I think it's a it's something, yeah, like you said. I mean, I think it's like a different customer. So that's the other thing is really kind of exploring how, what's changed in your customer behavior. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it's even if your sales are back, I guarantee it's a different customer now than it than it was. Yeah. And, and different buying habits, you know, uh, COVID was great because I can now get beer delivered to my door, right? Like I don't I have to go outside. Like that's cool. So, you know, I ordered, I had a, I had a meeting today that started at 11 and I really wanted a smoothie from this place down the street. So I ordered it online, finished up my phone call, walked, picked it up. It was already paid for. I didn't have to wait in the line that was like six people deep. Uh, I walked up, grabbed it, walked back to my office, and I was four minutes early for my meeting. Yeah. Like before COVID, I would have just been late for my meeting or I wouldn't have, <laughs> had, I wouldn't have ordered it. Right. Right. So it's just like, there's, we have options. I know. And, and that's, and, I know, think, for business owners not to be afraid of that because you still bought the smoothie, right? Yeah. So it's not like a bad thing for the smoothie owner that you, you did it remotely. Yeah. Yeah. He might have, maybe there was like a, online ordering fee that they lose out on or something, but I could have just not went right. That online system gave me the opportunity to go and I, it was a beautiful day. I got some, (laughs) some good vibes outside, you know? So, okay. What do we look at? I guess, you know, again, just talking forecast still how long, like you could probably do this in like a 20 minute session, right? Just sit down and you're going to have a beer after your shift. You're going to have a beer during your shift or like on a Saturday, you're going to have a beer. So like, why not? get out a notepad and just scribble your thoughts down while you're having your beer. Right. It doesn't have to be elaborate. And it doesn't have to be, that's the other part is it doesn't have to be the four pages of your PNL line by line, painful, like getting irritated. It's just like you said, you're sitting down, you have a notepad and you know, the starting point is where do you go? What do you really see? And then it's breaking it down weekly. So if you kind of can build next week, right? From revenue to cogs to labor, to operating expense. Even if you just throw in, I think it costs me $5,000 a week in operating expense. I don't really care if you're wrong at this point, right? Because we just want to see what is that, right? What does it look like together? Does it look like I'm going to make $1,000? Does it look like I'm going to make $3,000? Because then the next piece is, 
do you have $3,000 at the end of next week? And if mm-hmm. not, now you have a starting point to really setting that expectation for cash. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like, I think there was a quote a long time ago that I saw was like, uh, the best way to start is to start. Yes. <laughs> right. Just do it. Right. Nike, right. Just take that first step, right. If you're going to climb a thousand steps, you got to take the first. Yes. Um, you know, when's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago? When's the next best yeah. time today? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Just freaking do it. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not fun. And again, as you mentioned, like it, it becomes this big audacious thing where like it's too big and it, it's analysis paralysis. We stop. Yes. So, so break it down in the little itty bitty elephant chunks. Yes. Um, how do we track our trends? Like what, a, you know, how do we hold our teams accountable? You know, things like that. Well, that's one thing I definitely think getting your team to buy in to a weekly, you know, we call it a scorecard, obviously to play on golf, but it's true, right? Because at the end of every hole, you write down your score for better mm-hmm. or worse. But there's also something to that to put that behind you. And at the end of every round, it's recorded. And then over time, you get to see your handicap, right? Exactly. And it is what it is, but you have to track it. And so the same is true on our team, because if we're never holding them, not in a bad way, but holding them accountable to last week, then you don't have a way to improve this week. So you're actually hindering their growth as a team. The more we're just like, oh, well, supply chain's crazy. I don't even know. Like that, it can't be. We have to know, or at least try to know right now. So definitely, you know, going down the list and saying, okay, who's going to really own revenue, right? And especially for brewers, I was having a conversation with a guy this today, and it's like, if we don't know the transfer to our, you know, if it's a brew pub and you're, you know, you're selling it on the restaurant side. If you don't know that as a brewer, still come up with like, what would you really call last weekend sales, right? Come up with a number. Maybe it's not right, but if you were running your own business, what would you have sold last week? And that's a good way to kind of dig into some of these, like, what do I have to transfer the beer at to cover my costs? Um, but if the brewer can think about revenue, that's a great place to start. And then, you know, labor side, what is a realistic labor target for the brewery and then for the restaurant? And are we close or are we way off? Because so many times, if you have a manager that's been doing this 10 years, they might not be thinking about today's labor rates, Mm. right? Like it costs you more to have employees than it did two years ago. So do we have targets that are realistic? And then what is that bottom line for together, for the brewery alone, restaurant alone, and then go from there? Even as simple as like, how were sales today? Good. Okay. Compared to what, um, you know, how were sales last week? They were okay. Okay. Compared to what, like, what are you used to? Um, and then, Hey, they were great last week. Why? Hey, they were bad last week. Why was it the weather? Was it, Hey, people went away from Memorial day and just went to the beach. Like what happened and why? And I guess if you can track it weekly and kind of put a date to it, drop in a couple like comments, like a couple notes, you can say, all right, well here, here's why. And then you can resort back to that. You know, we get to a year from now and you're like, here's what we can kind of predict based on last year. And here are some notes from last year, right? So just tracking it. Oh, hundred percent. And I think especially on the beer, the brewery side, because especially if you have like your restaurant and then you have your brewery, it's like the brewers don't even think about the revenue. And mm-hmm. then inherently it never gets recorded right on the restaurant side or anything they're selling. But I think that, you know, owning, Hey, I want to show revenue because mm. that is, um, that's my department. I think that's really important. So coming up with ways, you know, even if we just bring it in the point of sale or whatever yeah. we do, but tracking is so important. 
I recently talked to a brewery that was incentivizing the brewer based on sales, you know, and percentage to goal and targets and saying, Hey, if we hit this, um, you know, you're going to get a bonus or something like that. Like, so, you know, accountability. Oh yeah. I think, and I think employees want that, you know, I think employees right now want to know that there's an upside that they can make more, but you don't have to give it away. I mean, I think they, you know, it's okay to make them earn it and, and make it a team effort. Like, Hey guys, we need to track this better. If you do this, you know, we're all going to win. I went to a seminar yesterday and there are three things that your team wants to know. Oh, <laughs> right. So everybody, every employee wants recognition, right? And it comes back to that, like the one minute manager book, right? Everybody wants praise. They want to know where they stand. And as a manager, you do it publicly, praise them publicly, right? Catch them doing things right and praise them in front of others. It makes them feel good. Um, so people want recognition. People want purpose or to work for a company where they know the purpose or that purpose aligns with their, their thoughts and, and goals. Um, and they want to know that they have room to grow, right? So there's nothing worse than saying, oh, why am I doing this? There's no, there's no upside, right? So, or yeah. why am I doing this? I'm not, they don't recognize it anyway. So why am I working hard? Um, and like, what's the purpose? So recognition, purpose, and room to grow are the three factors that drive employees. Those are so good. Yeah. <laughs> and I think as a brewer, especially, I mean, the sky's the limit, right? Like Sam Adams started out of a suitcase. <laughs> like you guys can do great things, yeah. even more than like a restaurant that needs another location. I mean, you have this brand and I think your employees want to buy into this brand. So mm -hmm. incentivizing them and, and making it a team effort is so, because so many times I feel like an, as an owner or like you, you like hold back because yeah. you don't want to stress out your team. But I think yeah. they, they want to know, they want to be part of it. Yeah. And cash flow is going to affect the owner sometimes, right? So non-operating events, um, quarterly tax payments, debt payments, paying down other debt um, and owner taking income. Um, so those are, can impact the owners, can impact, which again, trickle down effect, you know, as the owner, your attitude can be felt through the staff and through the building. So, you know, again, taking that time, taking an hour to just chill and just even 20 minutes, again, just sit and review, gather yourself, you know? <laughs> well, and I especially feel like for the owner, when it comes to cash flow, so many times as, especially in the hospitality and restaurants, um, you tend to get down on yourself. Like, well, mm. I've just had to work, you know, every Saturday since the pandemic and, and you're not wrong. I mean, those are really hard things, but I would encourage you to take a step back and look at that as a choice, right? Like you Correct. could have hired somebody and paid them to work whatever X amount, but instead you chose to work in that, which actually saved you money. I think the hard part as an owner is we don't always see that money, right? We don't always have a paycheck. We don't always have a bank account that's growing. But on the flip side, if you're working instead of somebody else, you're saving that money. So are you aware of that? Like, would it make sense to pay yourself? I think so many times pre-COVID, one of the biggest lessons that I could say that I've seen and that I hope every business owner pays attention to is how many people left money in their business. I have clients who have been doing this 30 years and took very low salaries, never took the money out. It was all about growth. And we have eight locations, yep. and 10 locations, pandemic hits, and it all almost went away. 
right? And you have nothing, like they have no retirement, you have nothing. But on the flip side, should we have taken money out in those good years, right? If we show $50,000 at the end of the year, I mean, I have on the flip side, other clients literally take to the penny. Okay, I'm going to withdraw $45,000 because I'm taxed on the 50 anyway. So that 50 is really mine. I could choose to leave it in, but I could also take it out and really focus on myself as an individual versus just the business. Because we believe in the business. Like you said, the business is our baby, but- what happens if it goes away? Like we have to make sure we're paying attention to ourselves. And I think sometimes the frustration we feel with our finances is really not being aware of what does this business need to make to make your life work? And are we making enough to, to make both work? Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. Um, yeah, that's a lot. Just, that's deep. That's heavy. Steve, I know. <laughs> but it's, I mean, I, you know, like the first three months, because we are so different from most accounts, right? Most accounts didn't really see what was going on until maybe quarterly planning or, you know, maybe even year end. The weekly. But we're weekly and it's like, oh my God, like people, I know people, I've like been to your restaurant. I literally sat in the room with one of my clients out in Washington state as the world shut down. And it's like, this is their life. Like, yeah. it, what do we do? I mean, you, you got, I know you guys don't have a backup plan yeah. and who would have ever thought you needed one? You're an $8 million, $10 million operation. You're fine. You're great. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow. Like all of us missed this and planning, you know, yeah. it just, it's, it was scary. And I think that's the biggest thing is like, how do we make sure we're all prepared and thinking about that? Cause entrepreneurs, it's like, you want to roll the dice, right? It's like, ah, it's a great yeah. year. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, we have to have a plan. That's not just your business. Like that's the biggest lesson. That's awesome. Okay. So yeah. So toolkit here, proactive tax planning. What are some, some end of year tax tips that you can throw out there for our manufacturers? Yeah. So definitely, like you said, um, I think the whole More idea of like, did you buy a tax credit? Um, I've said who even think about like, uh, R&D tax credit. There are definitely some research and development things that are out there, state and federal. So, you know, something yeah. to look into. And even um, just like local town, right? Like a local city sometimes. Yes, definitely. So okay. being aware, because as brewers, you qualify for a lot. Um, you know, the other things to really think about is just take a look at where you are year to date, because the weird thing that's happened is if you've raised your prices is that you actually might have a bottom line that's bigger than you've had in prior years because the good side of inflation is your fixed costs become cheaper. <laughs> the yeah, dollars are sure. less. So being aware of what that is because we really want to pay attention to tax rates. Like if you're paying yourself on a salary, you've already paid yourself through November, but if December is going to put you in a different tax bracket, maybe we don't, maybe we take it as a distribution. Yeah. So really running the numbers year to date and assessing. And then, you know, I think the other thing is reimbursements, right? Like if you pay for your cell phone on your own or have Mm -hmm. other things, you can definitely run some of that, you know, through your business, if it's business use and really making sure that you get credit for that. Perfect. Reducing our golf strokes, reducing taxable income, staying in that lower tax bracket. There's a lot of things that you can do, you know, legally that better exists, right? So work with the people who know what the heck they're doing and ask. Well, and another one is, you know, like I said, it's so important to look at where you're going tax rates before the end of the year. Because another strategy that is completely allowed is if you have kids over the age of seven, you can actually put them on payroll and pay them up to $12,000 that is inherently tax-free. Really? (laughs) Swear to God. (laughs) 
<laughs> it is a lot. Um, it's a ch- if you look at like kitty tax or whatever, but yes, it's, it's a strategy. Um, you know, the government still gets social security or whatever. Um, but you know, basically the way it works is they go on, um, up to $12,000, they would file their own return. They just wouldn't claim themselves. So the income would be zero. And then the business would get the deduction. Um, definitely something the, to think about. the child of the business owner. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Huh. So it's a, so if you're in a 25, 30% tax bracket, that can save, those are real dollars. And some people do it, like I have some clients who do it and literally have the kids save it. Like instead of doing like a pre-tax 529, do it that way and just put the money in a savings account. But knowing your tax rate is so important for business owners because it doesn't always make sense. But if you're in a higher bracket, your yeah. kids may be in a lower bracket. Yeah, interesting. Very cool, smart. All right. Um, what else? Anything else we can think about? Anything we've left out, do you think? No. So I would just say, you know, check out our website. We offer free courses all the time. And what is your anyone. website? Where, where oh. can we find you? <laughs> uh, the Largo Group. So largogroup.com. We have free courses all the time. If you register, you'll get emails. Um, our goal really is to provide resources, whether you work with us or not, um, just to help the hospitality industry. Okay. You ready for some uh, rapid fire? Yes. All right. Bucket list golf course. Ooh, um, I'm going to go uh, Pell Beach. Nice. It's beautiful. Never played it. No St. Andrews? I know, but I just don't like playing in cold. So. It's just rainy and windy all the time. No. So like if you're going to spend that money, again, risk averse, let's make it pretty and nice in an ocean. I'm, I'm all about that. Favorite board game? Uh, I would say Monopoly. I love nice. Monopoly. Because <laughs> you have all that extra time to kill? No. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we're coming up on, like, Christmas movies. Christmas time. What's your favorite Christmas Christmas movie? Watch uh, it the, oh, yeah. Uh, Christmas Vacation. Chevy Chase. Nice. It's awesome. It's the best. The I best. actually looked. Uh, I still have it. It's just on the DVR recorded from last year, and we'll watch it 300 times. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's the best. Not going in our yard, Russ. It's going in our living room. Yes. <laughs> Oh, uh, what's your favorite style of beer? Uh, IPA. I like IPAs. Okay. What's in your fridge I, right now? Uh, well, Sam Adams is my favorite. Just for okay. all the years living in Boston. But I do love craft beer. So kind of get 21st. Uh, craft beer. I know, kind of. Technically. <laughs> Technically. But I feel uh, like but, people don't look at Yingling or Sam Adams as craft. But, you know, by, by definition, they still fit. <laughs> and Jim I love their story. Changing the definition. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So. Do you keep your beer in a suitcase like he did? No. Like no? no. <laughs> awesome. Cool. And well, uh, that's all I got for you. I appreciate your time. It was a lot of fun. Oh, thank you so much. It was great. Um, you're very welcome. I appreciate you. And cheers. Thank you. Cheers. right that'll do it for today's episode appreciate you tuning in i hope you learned something i hope you really enjoyed it and if so tell a friend leave that five-star rating i mentioned earlier and comment on apple podcasts subscribe on any platform spread it around the world let's make it happen i appreciate y'all cheers and beer mighty things